Well, I did prepare something. Cool. <laughs> and uh, I am prepared to talk about it. Great. Imminently. Great. Maybe we should just do that then. Maybe maybe we should just do it. Welcome to Super Superstitious. The paranormal podcast about the science behind the spooky and the strange. That is right. I'm Wyatt. I'm Jake. And we are, once again, <laughs> back. With episode 158, my camera has gone into dramatic mode. <laughs> Why is it so blurry? There we go. There we go. Oh, we follow. That's good right on the edge. I think it's good enough. <laughs> All right. Uh, episode 158, as you say, uh, oh, Wyatt's sinking out of frame. What if I just talk from down here the whole time? <laughs> that would be kind of great. <laughs> the opposite of what usually happens if you don't see the screen which is uh you just are above <laughs> entirely and i also do like that i can only see your forehead actually just your hairline now but i can hear you crystal clear when you talk <sighs> oh, oh no anyways episode 158 we're gonna be talking about some stuff before we talk about that stuff i think we wanted to shit on some stuff right oh we do <laughs> let me tell you something about that <laughs> we're talking completely about completely gone <laughs> So, as everybody knows, our show is hosted on the Spotify platform. Well, it's not hosted there, but it is it is distributed there. Distributed there, excuse me, moi. And uh, as is so many other, as are so many other nice pieces of media. Anyhow, as some of you may have heard, Joseph Rogan. Rogan, yeah, Joey Rogan, human toenail. <laughs> uh is the worst. Uh, so much so that we have signed a deal with his people <laughs> that folks can essentially only subscribe to one or the other of our shows yep that is the ultimatum deal we have put forward so uh if you're listening to this now it means you can never listen to that and vice versa don't listen to that guy he's a big old chump and mm-hmm. uh you are too if you if you enjoy his stuff just gonna yeah. say that <laughs> that's the official stance of super duper stitches right another official stance of super duper stitches is that uh the brewery Mass landing in Westbrook, oh. Maine can get fucked. Oh, wow. Man, we have a very contentious opening today, everybody. Hold on <laughs> yes, to your seats. Sorry. Uh, no, we're not. Um, I meant to bring this up like <laughs> three episodes ago, but I just keep forgetting because we keep jump- We have been jumping straight into the topics instead and being more uh, punctual about actually talking about the thing you're here for. Yeah, they, uh, they're they not good for to their employees. And uh, it sucks because their beer is really good, but they themselves are not, so... I'll leave it at that, but uh, yeah, if you're looking for a brewed beverage in southern Maine, forget about it and drive southwest to western Massachusetts for some four phantoms. That's right, Jake. We have to mention. We're compelled. We're driven, paid to mention. Paid to mention, <laughs> even. <laughs> a groovy and growing brewery in western Mass, which of course incorporates, do it with me now, big tank, smoke monster, amplifier, acoustics, botany, moisture, and yeast. <laughs> Those things. And time to make beer if you are in new england and want to buy a beer buy four phantoms here is some more four phantoms news for any of our local listeners who uh may have it within their power to get to the tavern in greenfield massachusetts yeah. in the month of february four phantoms has some 
fresh brews coming out in the month of February. We will witness the return of Witch Call IPA and Battle Standard Lager, two mm-hmm. beers we've described on this very show in days gone by. Alongside these fan favorites, they're introducing The Reminder. Oh. Which, Jake, I'm sure you'll be delighted to learn, will be a raspberry chocolate milk stout. Wow. Oh my. Fascinating. Summons a vision of Pepto-Bismol with chocolate chips inside. (laughs) If that weren't enough, Purple Potion is coming back later in the month. And at some point, TBD, a double IPA hilariously named Orb Lord, (laughs) is in the works. So prepare your minds and your bodies. The release party for The Reminder will be the weekend of February 10th through the 13th, followed by another free bacon night. February 17th. <laughs> and then February 20th, Four Phantoms will host a Sunday Bunday with Bao from Lola. Oh. Which is a pop-up eatery that will be at the tavern. Yeah. Um, alongside their normal delicious fare. And then more things will happen. So stay tuned. <laughs> Time um, will continue to march onward. Yes. And, uh, you know, on a day-to-day, if you're free and just want some truly great beer, brewed locally, swing on by, let them know we sent you, mm-hmm. and they will probably nod, <laughs> ask you uh, a question. Yeah, you know, they'll have some sort of conversation that will last a few sentences, don't worry, not too long, <laughs> and uh, that is pretty much that. Thank you so much for Phantoms. We Thank do you. love you guys so much, and uh, everyone else, just buy their gosh darn beer. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Okay, we did that. We talked about how much Joe Rogan sucks. Talked about how much a uh, particular brewery not in Western Mass sucks. And then we just segued so seamlessly into our usual weekly ad for the brewery that is good. Uh, I think it's time now for just the episode itself. And this is an episode on which I go first. No. Damn it. <laughs> so we started to think kind of uh, as a surprise a couple of weeks ago, we just declared a topic for the following week at the end of the episode so we decided to see if we could keep that momentum going did that again last week i randomly picked things objects uh so that's what we're doing today is some some things, uh, object things objects uh, jake started to say nouns and then <laughs> pivoted uh that would have probably been a better prompt well it actually would have been a much worse prompt what am i saying way too vague so I'll kick things off today with a look at the Dropa or Zopa stones. Mm. You ever heard of the Dropa stones, <laughs> Um, This is what you use to... What is it? It's a kind of material, right? Soapstone? Yeah. You get, have a nice bar of drope and uh, rub it on yourself. That's right. Um, no, I do not. I only know that there is some sort of... Uh, how to How to put it... Decovenian kind of connection here. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is uh, that kind of file. To veil it slightly for <laughs> dull-eared listeners. <laughs> uh, the, the names of the websites that I use as sources kind of gives up the game immediately. So to preserve suspense in the story, I will wait until the end Ooh, to name them. Go. Glad we're on the same page. Uh, I shall begin. The Bayan Karaula, or Bayan Karashan, or Bayan Harshan region in Qinghai and Sichuan provinces contains the sources of the Tantianhe, or Yangtze Kiang, and Yaku Mekong rivers. Wow. Until relatively recently, this area was very isolated. 
As the account goes, in January of 1938, Chu Pute, a Chinese archaeologist, made a remarkable discovery in caves in the region. The caves contained a series of graves, while their walls were decorated with drawings of people, and the sun and the moon and stars. The archaeologists also found a stone disc a little over 300 millimeters in diameter with a hole in the center. A groove on the surface of the, of the disc spiraled outwards from the center hole to the rim and back, forming a double spiral. Another 716 discs were found in the caves by subsequent investigation. What? These discs are what we now call the Dropa Stones. People really like to make the connection between these and vinyl records because, of course, they do. It's like, oh, there's a spiral th- groove Naturally. going around it, and there's a disc shape. Uh, and yet, yeah, the size, say, about 300 millimeters, that's about a foot in diameter. Very, uh, yeah. But it made a stone. Um, made of stone. Okay. The, the discs were sent to a variety of scholars for investigation. One of them, Professor Tsum Um Nui of the Beijing Academy for Ancient Studies, found that the spiral grooves were actually a line of characters written in an unknown language. What? I don't know this story at all. Cool. Uh, In 1962, so a little over 20 years after studying the things, uh, he announced that he had managed to translate the discs. According to his translation, travelers became stranded in the Bayan Harshan region 12,000 years ago. Wow. The travelers who called themselves the Dropa, or Tsopa, uh, could not return home and thus tried to adapt to their de facto new home. Meanwhile, the local Ham tribes people hunted down and killed these outsiders who hid in the caves for shelter until oh the Ham believed for sure that the Dropa were there with peaceful intentions. So the groups then lived on in harmony, intermarried, etc., and that was mostly that. The Dropa left behind their buried dead and the curious stones in the cave to tell their story. Jeez. In July of that same year, 1962, a German magazine called Das Vegetarische, uh, <laughs> what the Vegetarische Universum, or the Vegetarian Universe, yeah. published an article about a strange finding made in the mountains between China and Tibet. So certainly, vegetarian lifestyle magazines are where I get most of my breaking archaeology news. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, this article is most commonly cited as the source for the continuation of this saga, as I'll be telling it from here forward. Damn it. Uh, The article was written by Reinhard Wegman for a news agency called DINA, or DINA, uh, I don't know, in Tokyo. It described the discovery of 716 disc-shaped tablets at a cave in the mountains located on the border between Tibet and China. Though by this point, China had invaded and annexed Tibet about a decade prior. Uh, Took over two decades for archaeologists and experts in ancient writings and hieroglyphics to decipher the grooved writing, wrote Wegman. So far, just a retread of what I already covered, but uh, he continues from here. When mm-hmm. Professor Tsum Um Nui finally received permission to publish, his reports took the enigma of the discs to a whole new level. In one place, the hieroglyphics said, literally, the Dropa came down from the clouds with their air gliders. Ten times the men, women, and children of the calm hid in the caves until dawn. Afterwards, they understood the signs and saw that the Dropa came with peaceful intentions. Elsewhere, the discs explained the visitor's vessel had been destroyed by a crash landing in the mountains, trapping them there. So a bit of a different spin on it than the wow. broader version I opened with. Perhaps some degree of a particular agenda at work here, <laughs> trying to spin Indeed. a certain story. What are your thoughts so far? I mean, it's got a real uh, sucralose flavor, yes. all of a sudden, a Von Danigan kind of flavor mm-hmm. being uh, forcibly applied, yes. like so much uh, sodium citrate. <laughs> A reference that may or may not make sense depending on what we cut out of the intro. 
Um, Basically, someone having a little too much uh, armchair fun, but I'm interested to see where they take it. Uh, I also realized in telling that last part there that I think I mixed up who was hiding from who, but I think that I think actually that tracks with the different uh, tellings of this I found. So, Professor's publication was greeted with disbelief and he was branded a liar. Resigning from Beijing Academy, he emigrated to Japan where he died shortly afterwards. Ooh, serves him right for being alive. (laughs) Chinese researchers sent a sample from one of the plates to Moscow for analysis. Russian scientists then made an amazing discovery. The discs had a high metallic content and may have served as electrical conductors, perhaps in order to play them in some kind of machine. So what the leaning, hell? Leaning hard again into the uh, like, oh yeah, it's uh, you know record kind of that idea. Right. Um, a different telling said that the disc specifically contained a whole bunch of cobalt. Generally, it is agreed that the Russian research team also tried running an electrical current through the disc and found that it emitted a powerful ringing hum. Hmm. Kind of like that, yeah. In case anyone could still doubt the Bayankara Mountains had once been visited by beings from another world, Vigman's article adds that pictures cut into the cave walls had also been found, quote, depicting the rising sun, the moon, and the stars, and between it, whole swarms of pea-sized dots which approach in elegant momentum the mountains and the Earth's surface. Hmm. So we're definitely laying it on thicker and thicker with the bold-ass claims. We've got some real mm-hmm. broad interpretations of these artifacts Mm-hmm. in such a way as to support some real specific conclusions. Mm-hmm. In 1974, Erst Wegener, an Austrian engineer, located two of the discs in the Banpo Museum in Qian, Shangxi province. The museum director could tell him nothing about the discs, which had begun to deteriorate, but she let him to photograph them. She's like, I don't know, here's what they are. Go ahead, take a picture. <laughs> uh, by 1994, the discs had disappeared, and it is alleged the previous curator had also disappeared. Went off to start pogs. <laughs> yep. So, getting into the implication of a cover-up, not just the idea that 20 years later, the same person might not still work there, but the discs, out, yeah. Yeah, the discs are said not to be there anymore either. Uh, Bonpo is best known for its Neolithic Yangshao culture village, located about nine kilometers from the center of Qian on the bank of the river Chanhe. The museum is built on the site of the village and is dedicated to objects excavated from it. Today, no one seems to be able to gain access to the Drupa stones, and requests to study them are summarily ignored. All we really have are the reports, as given just now, some considerably more colorful versions that the UFO community has concocted, and a really blurry photo that allegedly is one of Wegener's before those specific discs vanished. Let me see. Wow, they look like, uh, you know washers from any piece of machinery ever Mm -hmm. and uh, here's another photo that also has been provided but is not um, with any particular attribution just another one that there is a picture of okay guys come on it's a disc so what do we make of it all it's probably safe to assume that neither of us believes the take that the drepo were aliens who crash landed on earth i mean it'd be awesome if it was true but yes so what are the Dropa Stones, and why all oh, the secrecy? What do you think, Wyatt? Well, gosh. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> that is fine. Uh, I will move on, because I have some more information. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, that's just fine. <laughs> I don't, didn't expect to have an answer. Uh, um, I just wanted to leave room if you want, if you had anything you wanted to say before I just kept plowing forward. Plow on, plow on. All right. As everyone's parents said at one point no no the earliest source for this uh story is in an article in 
Liter- uh, Literature Naya Gazeta from February 9th, 1960, page 2 specifically. It's, uh, it's a Russian uh, thing discussing the speculations of mathematician and ancient astronaut theorist Matest M. Agrest that aliens might have visited Earth in the remote past and left traces of their arrival. This is 1960 when he said this. It was subsequently reprinted in its entirety as Hypotheses, Assumptions, and Guesses. Does the trail lead into space? By Valentin Isakovich Rich and Mikhail Borisovi Chernenko in the magazine. Almost tried to read the Cyrillics, but I don't know how. Uh, <laughs> current Digest of the Russian Press, a Russian language newspaper published in the USA since 1910, volume 12, number 9, from uh, March 30th, 1960, pages 24 to 26. Ooh, exciting. Intriguingly, this contained the whole outer space origin story two years before the alleged date of Tsum uh, Nui's translation of the disc as it was related in later accounts so they're putting out the story of the whole outer space thing in 1960 huh. and then the later accounts say that he finished his translation about the space stuff in 1962 um, some have suggested that Valentin Rich and Mikhail Chernenko never existed and were pseudonyms however they published a book in 1964 called Through the Magic Crystal A Story of Ideas uh, on Artificial Diamonds while Valentin Rich published uh, The Hunt for the Elements in 1982 and In Search of the Elements in 1985. So they appear to have been actual popular science writers who were just writing about some stuff they had heard about thought was cool. Wow. Uh, two years later, the story turned up in the July 1962 edition of Das Vegetarische Universum <laughs> in a story attributed, as I previously mentioned, to Reinhard Wegemann. Hmm. Now, every single website that talks about the Dropa Stones mentions this guy and his vegetarian article, so I wanted to track down the art, <laughs> the original and see what it actually said. Mm-hmm. That is assuming Google could translate it from German for me, but I wanted to see how many liberties uh, people were taking in the retelling of what he wrote to get it to be what I just told us now. Mm-hmm. Um, but after reaching the upper limit of research effort I'm willing to put into episode prep for this show, yeah, fair. I still couldn't find an ar- uh, archive of the magazine or mentions of Wegman in general. Wow. So here, now, I will refer to a specific source in this case. Let's just say he got into the uh, grocery business. <laughs> uh, this, this source is a comment by author Chris Albeck on a blog post in 2008 giving a rundown of new UFO-adjacent articles that had come out that week. So it was um, just someone posing, here's a bunch of stuff that's kind of about UFOs. Check it out for people who are interested in that. Chris Albeck is a guy who believes in UFOs, but seems to frequently take a kind of skeptical approach to stuff. Um, and he responded in the comments, oh, I've written a lot of stuff about... Because uh, the, there was an article about the Dropa Stones, and he wrote, commented saying, I've written a decent amount about this stuff. Here's you know what I've found out so far, so check it mm-hmm. out. So he, uh, part of this, he said, my own attempt to shed some light on the origin of the story began with a search for the journalist responsible for the report, Reinhard Fegman. Excuse me. Unfortunately, after conducting thorough searches of newspaper archives and several years inquiring through colleagues and journalist friends, I could not come up with any German writer of this name. So he had dug much deeper than I was willing to try and go. Hmm. Furthermore, nobody could tell me anything about the DINA news agency he supposedly wrote for either. To this day, I have not been able to confirm the very existence of either entity. Hmm. Whether or not the, I don't know if it's Dina or if it's meant to, it's, it's in all caps, I don't know if it's meant to be read one way or the other. Whether the news agency ever existed, it soon became apparent that the report was unlikely to be authentic. In July 1964, the same article was published again as if new in the German UFO magazine UFO Nachrichten. 
Here, Vegeman <laughs> made no mention of the fact that the report had been published before and added no new revelations about the discs. The wording in some parts of the article was different, indicating that the article had been rewritten. Uh, and now the writer mentioned another name, an archaeologist called Chi Pute. It even repeated the claim that the discovery had taken place, quote, 25 years ago, even though 27 years would have been more accurate at that point. So hadn't even updated the fact that two years had passed since he had written the first version of it. Uh, the legend of the Dropa became world famous as UFO magazines began to reprint versions of the article in different languages. The French-Belgian UFO organization BUFOI uh, released its own version in March 1965, and in 1966, a Russian translation was published by the Soviet journal Neyman. A year later, a ufologist named Dr. Vyacheslav Zaitsev wrote about the discs in the first edition of the Soviet magazine Sputnik. Wow. And on uh, February 26, 1967, a journal of the Los Angeles Herald Examiner, using the Sputnik article as its source, compared the cave drawings to a star map supposedly seen by UFO abductee Betty Hill. Betty and Barney being the first ever abductees in the world uh, from New Hampshire. At some point in this period, Reinhard Wegemann's name would get lost and would never be associated with the story again, other than people referring back to the stuff we already talked about. Furthermore, important details were dropped or changed. The year of the expedition was changed in 1938. The spelling of the names would become increasingly exotic with each new translation, making them almost untraceable. In 1973, like for one example, I think one of the professors in there, or one of the researchers, uh, had a name that wasn't like a proper Chinese name. It was kind of more like a Japanese name, kind of made to sound Chinese or something like that. Huh. Weird, yeah. In 1973, the director of the British magazine Flying Saucer Review, Gordon Creighton, Searched the archives of the Royal... <laughs> it's like a bi-weekly magazine. <laughs> yeah. Stay tuned for the centerfold. <laughs> R-E-V-U-E. The Royal Geographical Society in London uh, for proof that any archaeological expedition to caves at Bayan Karaula happened at all and that the archaeologist was... Uh, archaeologist involved was indeed Chi Pute. He found nothing at all about any of that. In 1979, British writer David Gaiman published Sun Gods in Exile, a book devoted to the Dropa story. However, the book turned out to be purely fictional. Gaiman or Gaiman claimed a scientist named Carol Robin Evans led an expedition to Bayan Karaula in 1947. The tale involved the purchase of a stone disc in India or Nepal and an encounter with a tribe of friendly dwarves. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Uh, I did omit the mention that the... Um, the bodies found, like the kind of tombs and stuff, they're all meant to be kind of short-statured human skeletons with kind of largish heads. That's at least what was claimed later on in the translations and stuff. It was like, oh yeah, they, they seem like humanoid, but not quite. So I was like, all right, yeah. But anyway, in this in this version, this like purely fictional version, the Drupa originated on a planet in the Sirius system. The book included photographs of a fake disc that even uh, today many believe to be authentic. What? So yeah, goddamn. Uh, as God damn. so frequently happens here on Super Duper Stitches, we done found ourselves a decades-long game of telephone. Yes, I was going to say, this is uh, what people would call copy pasta now. Yes. Pre-internet was just uh, that much more difficult to sniff out, I can imagine, because all these things would have been just sort of like periodicals and publications that may have had greater gravity especially if it felt like an international document you're picking up and then you're like well i gotta tell other people about this so yeah I'm sure half these folks were just genuine dupes and then the other were having a lot of fun talking about dwarves and 
records. And as it got passed um as it got passed on to different different people, different parties, especially the ones who were interested in like the uh ancient uh astronauts kind of theories, they would start adding their own flavor to it. Right. And uh pass it off as though they they're they had done new research to show new stuff. But um Exactly. Yeah, so as is also frequently the case when these things happen for us, it probably began with or at least quickly was replaced by a work of pure fiction in the first place. Mm-hmm. Good times. Good times. So uh, I'm going to wrap this up with a passage from my other main source, which I can now reveal to be the website badarchaeology.com. <laughs> <laughs> so they said, firstly, the story has a very, very dubious pedigree. A speculative article by a pair of science writers seems to have been expanded by an unknown writer into the mm. story published in the name of Reinhard Wegemann in 1962. So a couple of popular, popular science writers who we did confirm do exist just kind of speculating about, hey, here's some stuff people have been talking about. And then it got elaborated on by a supposed Reinhard Wegemann. Whoever was behind this seems to have been disappointed by the poor take-up of the story. A page in a vegetarian newspaper can hardly have had the impact the author of the hoax would have wanted. So he pushed it out again in 1964. Although rewritten, as mentioned in that other source, uh, there is still a clue in the text that it was originally prepared two years earlier. Mm-hmm. It describes the expedition in which Chipute discovered the disc as having occurred the same number of years prior, and that was incorrect. It seems that 1964 was a better year for tall tales involving crashed UFOs, as the story was taken up in a variety of publications at that point. It was through one of these that Vyacheslav Zaitsev's popularization made it known to a wider world, including the up-and-coming... Eric von Daniken. Oh boy, there he is. From there, the story blossomed, giving rise to at least two works of fiction. One of which was the uh, was to foist the non-existent Laladoff plate on the global. I'm not actually sure what that is. As some other additional artifact <laughs> that people were trying to like, oh, let's make this seem like it's real. Mm-hmm. Uh, through the fictional book Sun Gods in Exile. So, yeah, it uh, caught fire and caught a specific uh, von Daniken flavored fire, and. That the rest he is, took it. Uh, he took it from discs to chariots. Yes. One last point to make before we move on, and that is that the Dropa are real. Wow. <laughs> the As Dropa, a people or the stones? As a people, they are not aliens or the descendants of aliens and humans, like they were saying, or whatever, like that. Uh, simply an indigenous people of the Eastern Tibetan Plateau. There you go. Their name, which I guess according to this thing, is better rendered uh, Dropka under the Gould huh. Parkinson system of transliteration for Tibetan. Uh, it translates to solitude or inhabitant of high pasture lands. Mm. So it's a thoroughly down-to-earth description of semi-nomadic tribespeople of the plateau. But I mean, as far as uh, being close to outer space, I mean, they're... <laughs> yeah, get up on the Himalayas. <laughs> You're as close as you can get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, who's to who's to draw lines here, really? Fair. Very fair. Um, but yeah, wow. some, some weirdo in the past decided to uh, spice up a story... Um, make up a story really and uh, couldn't even come up with an original group of people to have it be about just well some bullshit seems uh something that the human species is extremely good at mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um before i jump into my segment should we boot up the old nc AAA device i say we should yes the nc AAA device this, of course, is a sort of cursed, dark computer that we created a while ago, and we use it now to run the Pander function, which, of course, stands for the Patriot Appreciation Neural Dive for Evaluation of Risk, which we use to assess the safety of our patrons. Jake, 
Let's boot it up and hook it up. All right, boot it up and hook it in. Yeah, it's booted. Now we're going to plug these tendrils into the backs of our skulls so we can connect directly to the dark ether. There we go. <laughs> and, uh, and now we're going to focus on Sebastian, Sebastian A <sighs> of Katie, Katie Texas. Texas. <laughs> Sebastian, watch out for the Avarasboro Gallinipper. Wow. Wow. That is a lot of that. Definitely watch out for that. The Avarasboro Gallinipper is a giant mosquito, reportedly as large as a hawk. Though artist's renderings will suggest that it is like a lumbering troll monster. <laughs> with Yeah, with a mosquito head. <laughs> um, uh, Sebastian, be aware. I guess really any mosquito bite should cause panic because... One little nibble from the Gallinipper could mean instant death. Because this mosquito can drain all of your blood and it's a good gulp. Also, if you see uh, Robin Williams, just get the fuck out. Because <laughs> this is exactly a Jumanji problem for you, <laughs> I would say. Also, a fun fact for, for listeners in general, the average adult human contains about five liters of blood. And the average hawk-sized thing is not quite that big. <laughs> So we can assume that uh, the mosquito will drain all of your blood in a single gulp and explode, dying itself. <laughs> Unless it has extremely flaccid, disgusting, inflatable skin. That's possible. That, uh... Oh. Oh. Okay. It's got, like, a human skull kind of face on that kind of illustration. Fun. Interesting. So, yeah, there's a lot of uh, frightening concept renderings for the Gallinipper. Mm -hmm. So basically, stay away from bogs, swamps, anywhere mosquitoes may be. Aberasboro, North Carolina. So also avoid North Carolina in general, if you can. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for your support. We thank really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Now we're going to focus our energy once again, this time onto Lizzie, Lizzie C. of Fort Collins Company. Color <laughs> Lizzie. Lizzie. Watch be on the lookout for Ichisunga. Ichisunga. Essentially Ooh. a rhinoceros. Yep. Probably from, I would say, the last ice age. Indeed. It's from uh, Zambia, usually found in the Kafu River forest and nearby swamps. It's an herbivorous water beast. It resembles a rhinosaurus as a horn on its rhinosaurus. forehead. Rhinosaurus. <laughs> <laughs> the, the creature is feared by locals. Also shares similar description to a different thing that doesn't matter. Although Ichisanga is said to eat grass and tree leaves, the Ichisanga attacks hippopotamus. <laughs> I I will say, Jake, you're actually extremely close because I'm getting it from the pander function that this is, if we had to bend it as an animal, a dinosaur or a rhino. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. I uh, I didn't even realize what I was saying, but it was just giving me the information right at the gates. So, possible explanation. The creature could be a living dinosaur resembling Centrosaurus. Or just what? a strange species of rhinoceros or other mammal. So, <laughs> wow. No reason to assume that it is, as you said, an Ice Age era rhinoceros. Yep. Or rhinosaurus, for that matter. Yeah. In any case, watch out for rhinos, sauri, ichisanga. Mm -hmm. Horns in general. And definitely avoid the last Ice Age. If you can. Yeah, imagine. a terrible call to go back there. And thank you so much for your support. Thank really. You very much. 
appreciate it. If you yourself would like your name entered into the pander function, you can do so by jumping in at any of our three tiers, or mm-hmm. at each of our three tiers, on our Patreon. You get many other cool perks at those various tiers, including outtakes, bonus minisodes, discounts on our merch. Yes, we have merch in an online store that you can even check out to wear some very cool clothes that are very comfortable and also look good. And at any level, you also get access to our Discord community, which is real fun times. Ah, yes it is. You can also become a glug suck. I'll leave it at that. And uh, yeah, just generally join a, a very vibrant community of other fun, sweet people, likely such as yourself, unless you also subscribe to uh, Joe Rogan's podcast, <laughs> in which case, what are you doing here? Get the fuck out. If you get the fuck in, you can get a cool Belgian beer glass with our logo on it also, so can yes. that. And uh, let's go ahead and unplug this from our brains. Feels good. There you go. All right. Wyatt, you got some stuff, some I things. I got some stuff. I did a... Uh, Two things back to back. One is sciency, the other is just uh, straight up stupid. <laughs> so I'll start with the science. Uh, Jake, do you remember those incredibly powerful radio frequencies coming our way from outer space? Yes. Sort of, kind of. Sure. So basically, for a while there, folks have been detecting blasts of intense radio wave, a sort of electromagnetic mm. energy from deep space. Right. And this is something that astronomers occasionally detect. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, they come our way on occasion, but what makes it interesting or even spooky is that sometimes they wind up occurring with great regularity. Mm. Um, and this can be very spooky because it's the kind of periodicity that would suggest that these bursts of energy are tied to something that has been intelligently designed. Oh. Some sort of deep space signaling of you know blasts of radio waves mm-hmm. uh, and you get all the kind of speculation you might expect there well just this past january science direct and a few other reputable latest in the sciences type outlets ran a press release on a new nature paper alluringly titled a radio transient with the unusually slow periodic emission <laughs> so is the press release the object that you're talking about Yes, this press release (laughs) has some cool stuff, baby. (laughs) I'll dive right in. Uh, A team mapping radio waves in the universe has discovered something unusual. What a title. That, or lead in, that releases a giant burst of energy three times an hour. Mm. And it's unlike anything astronomers have seen before. (laughs) The team who discovered it think it could be a neutron star or a white dwarf. That's the thing. Collapsed cores of stars. With an ultra-powerful magnetic field. Mm-hmm. Spinning around in space, the strange object sends out a <laughs> beam of go. radiation <laughs> that crosses our line of sight. Got him. And, and for a minute, and every 20, is one of the brightest radio sources in the sky. Wow. Astrophysicist Dr. Natasha Hurley-Walker from the Curtin University node of the International Center for Radio Astronomy Research led the team that made the discovery. This object, she says, was appearing and disappearing over a few hours during our observations. That was completely unexpected. Object. It was kind of (laughs) spooky for an astronomer because there's nothing known in the sky that does that. 
and it's really quite close to us, only about 4,000 light years away, which is incredibly far, <laughs> but, uh, you know, sure. in the grand scheme of things, basically next door. Uh, the object was discovered by Curtin University Honors student Tyrone O'Doherty using the Murchison Wide Field Array, or the MWA, telescope in outback Western Australia and a new technique that he developed. The MWA's wide field of view and extreme sensitivity are perfect for surveying the entire sky and detecting the unexpected. Mm-hmm. So, turns out objects that essentially turn on and off in the universe aren't new to astronomers they're called transients as was mentioned before yeah um and according to co-author dr Gemma anderson when studying transients you're watching the death of a massive star or the activity of the remnants it leaves behind and i'll add in not an intelligent life form trying to say that it caught the golden discs (laughs) so Kind of fun news, kind of fun update. Slow transients, which are like supernovae, mm-hmm. uh, might appear over the course of a few days and disappear after a few months. Mm. Fast transients, like a type of neutron star called a pulsar, uh-huh, flash on and off within milliseconds or seconds. Damn. But, Dr. Anderson said, finding something that turned on for a minute was really weird. She said the mysterious object was incredibly bright and smaller than the sun, emitting highly polarized radio 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 waves. Uh, radio Be very, waves. Very very quiet. <laughs> yes, uh, suggesting the object had an extremely strong magnetic field. Mm. And so they said the observations match a predicted astrophysical object called object called <laughs> an ultra long period magnetar. Add that to your object book. (laughs) It's a type of slowly spinning neutron star that has been predicted to exist theoretically, she said, says Dr. Uh, Hurley Walker. But nobody expected to directly detect one like this because we didn't expect them to be so bright. Somehow it's converting magnetic energy to radio waves much more effectively than anything we've seen before. Wow. So, further detections of similar objects will tell astronomers whether this was a rare one-off event or a vast new population that they'd never noticed before. And, uh, yeah, exciting forward progress in the world of science. Good old science. So, I found that and thought, what more could anyone ask for (laughs) objects-wise? Other than, of course, the Devil's Rocking Chair. Which is also a magnetar, right? Also a magnetar, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm picturing a magnetar as a... Uh, you know, you guitar have, based on magnets? Yes. Guitar, guitar, and then magnetar. It's the next step forward in tar technology. And then you could also walk around to Kitai and the magnetai. Oh, shit. That's actually an idea. <laughs> you have a, ba- a clip back basically a detachable it's a magnet that magnetizes to it oh god <laughs> tie in the front little magnet clasper uh-huh so <laughs> i think they have those <laughs> they do i All think right. so i gotta cancel my shark tank um <laughs> you know visit <laughs> yeah. 
I think it's and a along similar lines, don't let the uh, continued whiplash break your neck as I effectively swerve my segment's car off the road into some abridged and edited Newsweek news <laughs> from effectively 10 years ago in June of 2019. Host of Ghost Adventures and almost fully sentient for local can Zach Bayans <laughs> has closed a new exhibit at his haunted museum in Las Vegas after a series of visitors were dramatically affected, as was his own home. Period. <laughs> Bagans welcomed the new addition, a rocking chair from the Museum of Ed and Lorraine Warren oh, that Christ. inspired the upcoming Conjuring 3 at the end of April. This is the first time Bagans has ever closed an exhibit at his museum that everyone knew about due to paranormal activity and not some kind of obvious stunt. <laughs> the exhibition houses a wide variety of notoriously haunted items, but the chair caused concerning reactions in at least six of Bagan's seven museum guests. Bagan's told Newsweek he had to close the exhibit because of the disturbing reactions to the chair, which has been known as the devil's rocking chair. <laughs> Quote, this is the first time where I have decided to shut an exhibit down at the Honda Museum due to multiple people being affected in connection to unexplained paranormal activity of the devil's rocking chair. Six people all share the same disturbing, uncontrollable crying. <laughs> during the short time I opened the exhibit. I was waiting for the information to move forward. There it finally goes. The article wanted to keep churning through the same uh, statement three or four times. Before it <laughs> yes! <laughs> yes, it's, it's, it's amazing. Uh, <laughs> uncontrollable crying during the short time I opened the exhibit, one of them being a guest who also collapsed directly above the devil's rocking chair <laughs> on the stairs. Bagans clarified that the chair is housed directly under the set of stairs. <laughs> No doubt these guests were not crying because of their realization of where they were and what in their lives had brought them to that moment. <laughs> While visitor reactions to haunted objects aren't entirely uncommon at the museum, ambulances have been called more than once in the past, oh. the rocking chair triggered a chain of emotional reactions, even a terrifying experience that met Bagans and a friend at his own Las Vegas home. Quote, me and a friend felt a, an evil presence move between us as we were sitting down in my living room, which then caused my dog to growl, Biggins explained. I then became very affected, sp began speaking strange things about God and Satan with my head down, and then my friend began to cry uncontrollably and literally ran out of my house. Unquote. It's unclear if the exhibit will ever reopen or what will happen to their chair next. Biggins bought the chair for around $67,000, oh according God. to TMZ, in April. Say what? I said, oh my God. Incredible sum of money. He also happened to buy it just hours before the death of Lorraine Warren, who had been a leading paranormal investigator in the chair's history. She managed to fleece one last sucker before she went. What in the world? Not only that, the chair is famous in paranormal history. <laughs> As it was the site of the exorcism of David Glatzel, who was said to be possessed by a demon. A story for another time. Say it right into the microphone if you want. Yeah. <laughs> a story for another time, perhaps. Uh, Warren performed the exorcism, and the story says the demon left Glatzel and possessed another person, Arn or Arna? Uh, Cheyenne Johnson. Johnson later killed his landlord. Mm. Some claim to have seen, quote-unquote, the beast sitting in the chair, while others who have sat in the chair have faced back pain so excruciating they've needed surgery. Jeez. Come on now. 
So there you go. Devil's Rocking Chair. <laughs> Very interesting that uh, despite being indisputably famous in paranormal history, there's effectively no mention of this particular rocking chair other than in relation to Zach Bagans or the The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It movie release. <laughs> um, I will perhaps look into the Glatzel story for the next time we cover that kind of uh, sure. thing. But Why in the not? meantime, one science, one stupid, two <laughs> objects. No waiting. No waiting. <laughs> Just delivery. Content on demand. Oh, yeah. Could not be happier. Yay. I'm glad. And I hope I spoke in <laughs> full sentences. <laughs> One of these days, we'll have our lives back enough that we can record on the day we intend to and have like the energy we want to do it. Oh, my God. Won't that be a I cool thing? Fun. Oh, same. And our listeners fucking better have as well. Or yeah. They, or they can go listen exclusively to Joe Rogan instead. I'm watching them switch subscriptions as we speak. Yep. So it goes. So, all right, that was uh, our second in our uh, sudden... Sudden death prompt series. Yes. So uh, I think it's your turn to suddenly hit us with... Calendars. One. Calendars. All right. <laughs> Anyway, thanks everyone for listening. Please feel free to uh, rate and review us on whatever podcast app you have. Uh, tell your friends about it. Uh, tell Joe Rogan about it. Um, I don't know. We'll see you next time. We'll talk about calendars. See you there. Bye. Bye. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, <laughs> no.